turn with me to the scriptures, please. To the book of Revelation, please, chapter 22. That's the very last chapter. Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 22. I tell you what I want to do. I just want to go. I have a lot down here, but I want to go slowly at this. I want to go as I'm led at this. I don't think the Lord's finished with the meeting yet this morning. That's how I feel the Lord's leading, pressing into us this morning. So let's press into him. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was of the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Praise God. Hallelujah. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. That is one throne, brothers and sisters. That's not two thrones. That's Christ on his throne, his Father's throne. Notice, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Glory to his name. Father, Father, whatever you are doing in our midst this morning, we thank you that you are. We're appreciative, Lord, that it's not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit. We thank you, Father, this morning that even in the very quietness of this meeting, even, Lord, from the worship to the reverence of your people, the very want to call in your name and pray, Lord, we thank you that your Spirit is causing men and women's hearts to look to you. So, Father, in your name, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, that you would now settle us and lead me in your word and guide me, Lord, to what you would have me to say to the church at this time. Glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Verse 4 says, And they shall see his face. Now, brothers and sisters, when we just read that, we could spend eternity on that. That's you and that's me. You and I will see his face. If you're saved, washed by faith in the blood of Jesus, if you're overcoming in life, trusting in the finished work of Calvary, cleansed of your sin, You'll serve Christ in his kingdom. You'll reign with him. He'll be head over all things, in all things and through all things. 
but will see the face of God. What is God like? Look at Christ. What is God like? What is the Father like? Look at Christ. He says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said that he is the visible expression of the invisible God. And you and I will see his face. We will see the Son of God. We will see the face of God. Notice this. It also says, and his name shall be in their foreheads. His name will be in your forehead. His name will be in my forehead. I want to speak this morning on the title is that name changer is the game changer. I don't mean it to be irreverent when I say game changer, but really when we talk about upping our game or someone changing the game, it means that there's a, a, there's a new aspect of things, a higher level, a deeper depth. And when Christ puts his name in our foreheads in the kingdom, we will eternally reign with him. He's a game changer. We enter the realm of those who are sinners saved by grace to the elevated position of those who are sons and daughters reborn into Christ. To the elevated position of seated with Christ in heavenly places, not only positionally at this moment, but physically and literally at that time in his kingdom. And it says that we shall serve him, but it also says that we will reign forever and ever. Christ will always be God on the throne. Christ will always be the visible expression, and you and I will always be under him. Nevertheless, we will be kings and priests unto God. We will rule and reign with him, but his name will be on our foreheads. Now, that doesn't mean all of us are going to have tattooed or indented or imprinted or burnt on or, or whatever, that we're going to have seared onto our skin, Jesus, as we have in the front here. It doesn't mean that. It means that all of us will be those through this life. Brother, sister, now listen. Through this life, who are not only saved, but our living and overcoming life in Christ. Our living and overcoming life in Christ. In the kingdom, we're not all going to be playing harps and floating around on clouds and dressed in little white suits and nice little white dresses. We're not going to have our wings on our back. We will be in a kingdom upon this earth. The millennial kingdom of Christ will come then the eternal kingdom of Christ after that. And you and I, who are overcoming in Christ, that is, who are yielding to the word of God. That's important. You and I, who are overcoming our own desires. You and I, who are putting aside the things of the world. You and I, who are counting Christ our everything our whole life. He who is our all and our all. 
those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ over the world, over our own flesh, over our own families, over our own wives, over our own husbands, who put him first, who follow him to the best of our ability and worship him in spirit and in truth, trusting solely in the blood that he shed. Every time the Holy Spirit plants something in our hearts to do something, and we do it, we are overcoming. Every time the Holy Ghost puts something in our hearts to hand over to him and we hand it over, we are overcoming. Every time the Holy Spirit puts something in our hearts to bless others with or to whatever it is, to yield unto him. And when we do it, we are overcoming. And it is there we find we are overcomers in Christ. Listen, we overcome him by the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of our testimony, and that's true, we'll all overcome him by that. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Too many Christians love their own lives. We love our own comforts. We love our own dreams. We love our own desires. We love our own thoughts. We love our own selves. They love not their lives unto the death. And you and I, until the day of our death, should Christ tarry, whether it be today or in 100 years' time. Until Christ return, you and I are to love not our own lives unto the death. When you and I get saved, you and I died. And Christ now liveth in us. And the life that we now live in the flesh We live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Paul says, when Christ, listen, who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. In other words, when Christ comes back and he's been our life, he's not been our Sunday morning service. He's not been our Sunday morning, Sunday evening service, or even our Bible study. He is our life. He is our our waking moment. He is our closing-eyed thought. And he is the one whom we desire to dream about in the night watches when we close our eyes and sleep. He is God with a face. He is that visible expression of the invisible God and in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I find sometimes when we look at this, we see his name shall be written in our, in our foreheads. We think of how early in the book of Revelation, I don't want to go into it, where people call there's an antichrist who tattoos his name or number in our heads. That is not what it means, brothers and sisters. That gives the idea of the false doctrines of, of Rome when it came out in the Protestant Reformation. Came out of it. It talks about the, every false doctrine of nowadays of, that goes against Scripture. Every antichrist spirit that comes against the personality of God and Christ that denies the deity, the deity of Christ, the fullness of God in him, is an antichrist spirit. 
We think even of people like Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Unitarianism. We think of Mormonism who denies he is solely and uniquely the Son of God and he is God himself. Fully, completely, totally, uniquely, Christ alone. And we love him with all that we are. If there's anything you hear in this house, I pray that you would love the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to say that when I grew up under my pastor, one of the greatest things he heard, and I have even, I've given him a book and signed the inside of it one time that I bought for him, and I said, you have taught me to love the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that would be the greatest accolade for any man or any woman is to teach someone to love the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, his first and chief head office is to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the first chief office. We want to look at how it says on his name, the name of God will be in our foreheads in heaven. Notice it's the last book. It's the last chapter of the book. His name shall be in their foreheads. The word name here is the word onoma. Onoma. And let me tell you what it means, but please listen intently so you don't get confused. It's described as the name is used of everything which the name covers. Let me say it again. The name is used of everything which the name covers. Everything of the thoughts, of the feelings, of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning the said name. In other words, when someone mentions your name, what do they think of you? When someone mentions your name, do they think, well, that is a responsible person because you're a very responsible person. It's, it covers who you are. Oh, yes, and they're a nice person. They're a gentle person. They're a kind person. So your name would cover who you are. And if you have a bad name, it covers who you are. So in other words, the word here, his name shall, his onoma shall be in there, that is our foreheads. It means this. The name represents the person, their rank, their authority, their character, their faithfulness or their faithlessness, their reliability, their attitude. So when someone mentions your name, your name, someone says, I don't want to get a bad name because then when others hear your name, they'll think that off you. They'll think this off you. So your name means so much to your character. Here, his name, all that covers the name of God, the name which has been given the highest revelation of God is the name of Jesus. And so when you and I are in the kingdom by his grace and through his power, all that God is will be etched, inscribed, indelibly imprinted upon our hearts and in our minds. 
and we will be totally, completely yielded to his obedient will and authority. That's what it means. And this life that you're living now is the training ground for the life that is to come. The Onoma, for example, I want to go to the Old Testament. I want to hover just a little and take my time. I'll do more in the Lord's will next week. Will you turn with me to the book of Exodus, please? I want to show you just briefly some of the revelation of his name. It was prayed up in the prayer meeting. Tracy, you mentioned it in the prayer meeting. And this I went, we're on spirit today. It was sang in the songs we sang of. We worshipped his name. Exodus chapter 3. A very well-known portion of scripture. Moses sees the burning bush and turns aside to see it. Just turn to verse 13, please. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? To this point, they had no revelation of a name. I'm in Egypt. We're under servitude, we're under Pharaoh. We have no hope. We have been here for over 400 years and you're going to tell me that God who seems so silent, who's allowed all this to happen, is going to bring me out. Two million or so of us going to bring us out. Then you tell me who he is. What's his name? What they're asking is this. The word name here is the word Shem, S-H-E-M in our English spelling, Shem. And Shem simply means reputation, fame, glory, memorial. So what they're actually saying, or what Moses says they should say is, they will ask me, what sort of reputation has God among us? What sort of fame is there of our God? Where is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God? Where is his fame? For it seems all past now, and where is the God of our fathers? Brothers and sisters, does that sound familiar to you? Does that not sound familiar to you in your prayer life? Does that not sound familiar to you when you're looking at a sick loved one? Does it not sound familiar to you when you're praying into something and nothing seems to be happening? Does it not sound familiar? Because it does to me. Well then, Lord, where is the God of our fathers? And where is the God who caused great revival? Where is he? In other words, where's your reputation in this earth? Among this people? Where's your fame that we read about in your word? Where's your fame of the apostles? Where's your fame of the prophets and of the patriarchs? Where's your fame of of, of the Pentecostal movement from a hundred years ago? Where's your fame when we heard of great preachers from the Reformation? Where's your fame, Lord? Where is it? Where's your reputation in the earth? Where's your glory? There seems to be no memorial of God anymore, even in the hearts 
of the individual Christian because no longer are they yielded fully to his love but go along with a world of lust and political correctness. Genesis chapter 4, when you turn with me, God says to Moses, or Moses, I am that I am, speaking of his, his uh, person, his personality, who he is and what he is. Tell him I am. Now go to Genesis chapter 4, please. This is like a Bible study, but it's good to study the word. And notice what it says here in Genesis chapter 4. Let your eye, <clears throat> excuse me, run down to verse 26. Let's read verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And and to Seth, to him also, there was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now I notice this, Adam and Eve, we know the story has Cain and Abel. Cain, that wicked one, off that wicked one kills Abel because his offering was refused and Abel's was accepted. And now the Lord gives them another son and they name him Seth. Seth meaning appointed compensation. In other words, God's reputation God's fame and memorial was going to be appointed in a new line because Cain had killed Abel, which was the line. Now it is Seth. Seth links to Adam, known as, when I say sons of God, I'm not talking about in the sense of the uniqueness of Christ, but as the the created sons of God, that line which he would have the Savior come from. Notice Seth is born, which means appointed or compensation. And you'll find out, brothers and sisters, that when we go through times of trial, it may be long, but God always makes it up to us. He compensates us more than we ever could have imagined. Compensates us greatly. Here he says, my reputation, because he told Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and 15 that from the seed of the woman there would come forth one who would crush the serpent's head. So if Cain kills Abel, the serpent is is living and Christ is dead. But God's reputation, before there was a sinner in the earth, there was a saviour in heaven. And because of God's name and his reputation, and because of his fame, he says, no, no, we'll have another one called Seth. And from Seth means appointed compensation. You see, this idea is that God's reputation or fame must be accounted for or else none can trust him. I want to say that again. God's reputation must be accounted for or none can trust him. Now notice this. It says, Then began men, verse 26, to call upon the name of the Lord. The word name is, is, a, is the word Shema. Okay? It's the same as Exodus 3, 
what, when they ask, what is thy name? It's Shem. Notice, and then began men to call upon the Shem of the Lord. The Shem of, uh, of, of the Lord God. The Shem, the name, the reputation it means. They started calling on the fame of God after Seth was born. You see, now, Seth has been born and there's a new line to come out from the promised seed. And they catch a glimpse that God's word has come to pass. He's made the provision and he has sent Seth, even though the devil thought he had gotten the victory by killing uh, Abel with Cain. The people now are starting to look and they're saying, God, you've done it before when you brought Seth out. You kept your word because of your own fame. And they start to look and call upon the name of the Lord. You know what they were saying? Where is the God of Adam? Where is the God of Abel? Where is the God of Seth? You're a great God. You're a mighty God. You're a merciful God. You're a kind God. You're a good God. You're a blessed God. You are the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is therein. You're the God that they speak of who has moved in power and glory, who walked in the cool of the day with Adam. Where are you? They didn't know his name. They were calling on his reputation. They were calling on his own reputation. That's why the Lord says when we're saved, he keeps us in spite of us for his name's sake. You're kept for his name's sake, brother. And you've failed a million times, sister. You're kept for his name's sake. God seemed so silent and didn't speak. Do you ever get the times you think, God, why are you not speaking to me? All of a sudden you've stopped speaking. When I was writing this, I, I got this thought in my head and I thought of, you know, injustice will cause God to speak in. Justice will cause God to speak and be there speaking to his people. But when justice becomes injustice, it will cause God to be silent. God will tell you, now you were just, but now you're going unjust. I warn you of it. I warn you of it. I'll not speak to you. And then I wrote, and persistence in injustice will cause God to rule in justice. I trust there's none who are persistently unjust before God in their dealings even. Brothers and sisters, I tell you something. I'm saying this, and I want to be careful what I say. On Tuesday night, we decided we'll have a prayer meeting. We had a prayer meeting. We started to worship, and the Spirit moved wonderfully in here. And the prayers were ascending, calling on the name of God. It was beautiful, powerful. And even in the worship, free worship and singing in the Spirit, and it was just mighty. It was beautiful. And when I prayed myself, I noticed myself saying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God tried me on that on Friday. God tested me on it on Friday. Allison was out, and I was in my study all day Thursday, all day Friday. 
my phone rang and there was a, a number on it I didn't know. Sometimes it's a bit dodgy when you lift. You don't know what you're getting on the other side. So I thought I'd answer it anyhow. It was my home phone or my mobile phone. And I went, hello. Do you know who this is? I haven't a clue, I said. I don't know. You don't recognize the voice. I'm sorry, I don't. Sounded a little familiar, but I couldn't place it. I said, sorry, I don't know. And they told me their name. My brothers and sisters, listen, this was a phone call from a man who left me in Alison, broken, living in a home, homeless, 16 years ago. We hadn't even a knife and fork. We hadn't even a spoon. We hadn't a cup to drink a cup of tea off. In fact, we hadn't even a tea bag. And we ended up living in a bed set where shipyard workers were housed for three months before we got out of that. Phoned me out of the blue 16 years ago. Tried to defame Alison and myself for something we didn't do and it was proven that he was wrong and it was all his fault. Phoned me out of the blue. I want to apologize to you. I can't get you out of my head. Can you meet me? Will you meet me? Please talk to me. First time in 16 years. And God says, now what are you going to do? You want me to forgive you? Then you forgive. And I'm going to be honest, brothers and sisters, I had an argument with the Lord in my hands for a few seconds. Lord, you know what he done? We lost everything. I mean everything. We hadn't a cent. We're out in the street. We ended up in a bed set because of him. I have to meet him this week. And the Lord says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then you forgive him, son, if you want to know forgiveness. I said, of course I'll meet you. And the man says, will you even just afford me five minutes of your time if you're down Belfast sometime? And I call him by his name and I says, know what I'll do? I'll phone you next week and drive down on purpose to meet you. And I'm going to. Do you know why? Because I can't say this to you and then do something else behind the scenes. You can't say you're close to God and live another way. You can't do it, brothers and sisters. It's, it, it's just juxtaposition one to another. It's like two points of the magnet coming together, plus and plus, they repel one another. You must, you must do what you're doing in the pulpit or what you're saying in public. You must do in private. For that's shielding to him. In every idle word, we will give an account of it. We will have his name, his reputation written on our foreheads. And when we enter into the kingdom, if I'd have said no, God's blessing would have cut off. I reckon the justice that I have because of the justice of his wrong to me and Alison, and I mean it was big wrong, two years, two and a half years of hurt and hardship, I took, I took very ill over it. I was blamed in ruining a two million pound project. When it was all going great. 
In fact, it was going on for an hour, seven or eight years after that, after it was found out. We were pointed at, we were sidelined, we sat down with people and they got up and walked away from us. You have no idea of this. And suddenly this man out of the blue, first time ever, can you meet me please and talk to me? I said, okay, I'll make a point of it. I'm coming to see you this week and we'll sit down with a cup of tea and have a yarn. See, I've been forgiven much, brothers and sisters. I have been forgiven much. Have you? Have you been forgiven much, brothers and sisters? I have been forgiven much. And he or she who has been forgiven much will love him much. And if you love Christ, you'll love one another. And if you love Christ, you'll be able to forgive. No love of Christ, there's no forgiveness. Put it away. Set it aside. You heard it last week. I'm going to go back into this next week. 